Life with teens isn't always excitement and fun. Sometimes we have to be the parent and that can include taking away a cell phone, but taking away a phone causes problems because then we can't communicate with our kids when they're at school or practice or if they're at home and we're out since most of us don't have landlines anymore. That problem goes away with our sponsor, Trumi. Trumi has a completely flexible smartphone, so you can restrict your teen's phone so it can't do anything but call and text. And you can even list the numbers that they're able to call and text with. So you can just list your numbers and that way you can communicate with them even when you've essentially taken away their phone. When they're ready for more phone freedom, simply give them the pieces you know they're ready for. You can learn more at Trumi.com using the code MIGHTYPARENTING, all in caps. You'll get $50 off your phone order. And if you want more of my thoughts on how you can use Trumi in your parenting, just send me an email at connectandmightyparenting.com and I will be happy to share my thoughts and tips. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, the podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, stress relief guide, speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting podcast. And I appreciate you being here today. I just ask that you share the podcast with another parent so they can learn as well. Our guest today is Matisse Miller. Matisse is the founder, director, and supervisor of the Center for Cognitive and Behavioral Therapy, as well as the author of the book, The Uncontrollable Child. Today, he is joining us so we can have a conversation about our emotionally sensitive teens. Matisse, welcome to Mighty Parenting. Thank you so much, Sandy, and thank you for having me here. I appreciate you reaching out. This is definitely something that a lot of families deal with. And as I talk to parents, I, I hear that they don't even know that's what they're dealing with. And so what they think they're dealing with and what they're actually dealing with are two different things. So maybe you can start out telling us a little bit about like how we would know if our child was emotionally sensitive, what kind of signs might we see or behaviors or traits might we see in our kids? So the emotionally sensitive child is the child that you can see behaviorally, you can see them acting out or being aggressive and feeling like they're out of control or they don't listen to you or they don't cooperate, or it could be that child and it can be that child who's often very anxious, crying easily, has difficulty with change and transition. In a situation, they're very much a black and white, all or nothing thinking. So they're stuck in one pattern and it's hard for them to move to the next. If we think about real emotional sensitivity, and one of the examples I like to give, and I believe this example is from Marsha Lenahan, is if you can imagine uh, a, a third degree burn patient and, and the window is open in their room and someone opens the door and suddenly there's a gust of air across their arm and they suddenly feel that excruciating pain. And it was just some air. And because of that sensitivity, they really go from zero to 100 in a matter of seconds. When we talk about emotional sensitivity and where it comes from, part of it is just biologically. And, and many uh, children and teens who have Emotional sensitivity often carry a diagnosis of 
uh, ODD or ADHD. And there's actually a newer diagnosis called DMDD, which is disruptive mood dysregulation disorder, which is actually really befitting for an emotionally sensitive child. Um, but they feel their emotions like a ton of bricks, really fast, really intense, and they go into that emotional mind and that emotional state. And very often we react to our children in that state, like, what's the big deal? You know, why are you crying over that? Don't be so anxious. Why are you so shy? You, know, you so easily get embarrassed. Stop being so angry. You get angry about everything. You get so stuck which we can talk perhaps later about invalidation and how that actually leads to more dysregulation. But this is that child that often, as I said, it's externalized behavior in, in the environment. And it could be that teen who's very uh, oppositional or perhaps destructive uh, and uncontrollable, uh, or perhaps the, the child who is just emotionally very reactive and explosive and tantruming and sensitive. That example is so powerful yes. because when you shared that, that was the thought I had is people in the case of a burn patient, you wouldn't look at someone and go, it's just air. Stop crying. But in the case of our kids unintentionally, even especially when they're younger, I, that's what happens. But this is biological. It's just the way their brain, their body, their nervous system is wired. This isn't something about our, our parenting, or I think sometimes people feel like, oh, they've been too permissive or they've been too hard on the kid, either of those extremes, and they've created the situation. And I don't hear you saying that. Yeah, I, I think as we say in dialectical behavioral therapy, we look for, and I, I, much of my work in parenting is based on the conceptualization and the language of DBT, is that it's both true. It's true that there is often uh, biological, genetic uh, makeup of the individual and the child. At the same time, very often our interactions uh, precipitate, our interactions uh, actually create more dysregulation and more struggle for the child. At the same time, uh, Sandy, I love what you said, and I think it's such an important message to parents, and I love the name of your podcast, Mighty Parenting, because I think so often, so much of my work is not just about not judging the child and understanding the child. It's also not judging yourself as a parent and understanding and validating yourself as a parent. And even if you were not effective in your interactions with your child, or you didn't understand what their needs were or how to respond effectively, that doesn't mean that you created or you're bad. That means is you did the best you can with the skills and the knowledge you have in that very moment of understanding that child. Uh, because when we judge ourselves, that also leads to problems in our parenting and also judging our child. So I would say there's a bio, there's the biology, there's also the social environment, as you said, not necessarily in a way that we're trying to be critical or punitive to the child, but when we are dismissive and that child is going to high school for the first day and they come back and, you know, and they're really anxious and you're like, oh, don't worry about it, you'll get over it. Uh, and, and they don't, they, they just mean to help their child or encourage their child when, in essence, they're invalidating that child's experience and the child gets a message, oh, so there's something really wrong with me that I'm feeling so anxious. It's been two days already. You know, mom said it should be gone. Mom's not even giving attention to it. And that's where the child starts to learn um, to sometimes suppress uh, or subjugate their own emotional experiences or they actually increase their emotional experiences 
in order to get a response from their environment because they don't feel understood, understood or heard. Then when the parent eventually responds, they reinforce that dysregulation process and the child actually gets reinforced and becomes more and more dysregulated. Not again with a, uh, a focus of, oh, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna get explosive now and then I'm gonna get what I want. But just the messages in the environment that go back and forth in the transactional process actually lead the child to start automatically having these uh, intense outbursts because that's the only time they get the attention or their response from the environment or some understanding of their emotional pain. Okay, so if our child is having outbursts, whether they're angry outbursts, sad outbursts, what, I guess, what is a supportive way for us to interact with them? And that's an excellent question. And I would like to introduce that, the answer to that question with the concepts of dialectics. And the, the idea of dialectics is, is that there can be two um, ideas, concepts that appear or are opposite, yet they can both be true at the same time. It's the idea of, as I often like to say, is picking up an item, two fingers are better than one. And I think in parenting, the reason why a lot of my work focuses on using dialectical concepts in parenting is very often when we interact with our children, we have this belief that there is the right way. Uh, and I think that's where we get in trouble because as I always said, I, I wish I wrote the manual and then you know people wouldn't need to get help and they read the book and everyone would be good in life. Uh, there is no manual. There's wonderful material. There's evidence-based, research-based skills and strategies. There's no exact perfect way to interact with every single child. And I think what I when we talk about emotionally sensitive child and what I see with parents is they vacillate often to extremes, either avoiding their emotions, walking on eggshells, um, or just trying to be positive and accepting and nurturing and validating. On the other end, perhaps being overly focused on limit setting um, and uh, ensure that there is discipline and consequences and punishment and changing the child behavior. And the dialectic in parenting that I focus on is acceptance and change. And if I'm accepting my child, then I'm not changing my child, I'm accepting. If I'm changing, then I'm working on changing them, not accepting. So the answer to your question is, is if I have a child who's you know, exploding and being inappropriate or being non-compliant or being overly sensitive in my mind, is the ability to find that balance, and it's not 50-50, of using tools and strategies to balance acceptance and change. And let's see what that would look like. That would look like if my child is you know, really upset about something. They're upset perhaps because they're a sibling or because a teacher, or they're upset because you're not, you know, the teen, you're not letting them take the car tonight. So the first thing in terms of accepting is for the parent to, in their mind, they start with a should belief. And perhaps that comes across in their interactions like, you know what, I give you the car all the time. Are you serious? Are you getting all upset about this right now? Are you really getting teary-eyed because you can't have the car tonight? You know, Kayla, I give you the car all the time. And that's because the parent already is getting stuck on a should belief that 
She shouldn't be so sensitive. She shouldn't be so reactive. They're not accepting Kayla for who she is in this moment. At the same time, and how do we do that is by um, changing the way we think, but also using strategies such as validation and mindfulness, being present, being focused, reflecting back, validating to communicating to, to your team that your emotional reaction makes sense. Maybe not, you don't have to validate what's invalid, the behavior, but communicating that what you're experiencing because there is a cause makes sense. Maybe that's your, like we talked about, it's biological, maybe because you had certain expectations or certain beliefs that are getting in the way. At the same time, that doesn't mean to give the car. And limits need to be made. And, and perhaps if Kayla fights the limit or she goes out in the middle of the night and takes the car anyway, we're not going to say, oh, well, we have to accept her. Yes, we have to accept her and love her and connect. At the same time, we also perhaps have to put a consequence in place. So it's really finding that balance. We're accepting, we're accepting our child in that this is how their body functions. This is how they feel. And setting limits more around the behaviors. Is that? Yeah, we're also accepting the behaviors and changing the behaviors at the same time. And I think what parents struggle with, or in general, this is not just related to parents, the concept of acceptance. Acceptance doesn't mean approval. Acceptance doesn't mean that we're saying it's okay. Acceptance is us acknowledging the reality of what is. So even in terms of behavior, and it's the key to change often, is if we accept the child's, even the behavioral problem, accepting doesn't mean we're not going to address it, but acceptance means, just like you said, by the emotional is a biological cause. For the behavior, there might be a cause too. It might be because they really want this badly, or they're testing limits, or in the past, you know, your partner has given in many times, and therefore, that's why they're uh, upping the ante in this case. So we're, in our minds, we're approaching them with more an accepting of that there's a cause and it makes sense what they're doing at the same time, focusing on changing the behavior. And why is that so important? Because that's going to come across in your interaction with your child. Because uh, if you're full of judgment and not acceptance, it's like, you know, I think about it, I sit down with parents and they say, well, my child shouldn't be lying. And I say, no, they should be lying. And they're like, what? Are you serious? <laughs> I come here. I'm like, come here. I said, I don't approve of it. And it makes you really sad. And we really want to focus on decreasing and changing that behavior. But it's exactly as it should be because there are certain causes that led up to it. And, and therefore, till there's a new change, that behavior should continue. Often we think of shoulds as morals or our wishes. That's okay. You know, we can wish that our child not lie. And we can hope that that behavior will change. If the child is lying right now, they should, they should just mean, okay, should means it is because there's a cause and effect. And as soon as they can let go of those shoulds, they can actually see the child differently. And it actually helps them move towards changing the child or changing their interactions with their child or helping the child in a more effective way, because they get unstuck from the judgment. Am I making sense here? Are. I'm I'm visioning different scenarios, right? So I have one in my head and I see a parent says something to a teenager. The, the teen 
goes into a verbal and physical outburst. Maybe they throw something, break something. So as a parent, what we would do, and correct me, I'm just, I'm throwing this out there going, am I understanding this, right? So correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm thinking what my goal here is, is for me to stay in a calm space because it's the shoulds that really kick me into High gear. being triggered and getting angry and, and basically having an outburst back at them. That doesn't help anything. So I stay calm and I see this and I accept that they feel the way they feel for them. If, if we have, cause I think this is true for any child, but if it is an emotionally sensitive child, then they're biologically the, what they're trying to deal with is amplified dramatically mm-hmm. and their behavior of throwing something was their way of managing that. So I accept that this is how they felt. This is what they did. And then I can just stand in this space of, it seems like that was really difficult for you. How can we help you manage that in the future? Because throwing, not so much. That's, that's really not the way that we want to do this. So I'm accepting the emotions. I'm accepting that that's the behavior that happened. And at the same time, guiding them toward changing it is, does that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah. I love what you're saying. And I want to break it down a bit more. So okay, good. when that interaction happens and your child throws something so immediately, like you said, Sandy, so well, it's like we experienced that intense emotion in that moment. Uh, perhaps normal frustration, anger, perhaps not acceptance, the judgment thoughts, how dare you in that moment, as I often tell parents, it's better not to, it's better not to parent and lose an opportunity to parent than parent at all, because we're not in, we're in an emotional state and that's going to come up. We're going to actually be ineffective in our parenting. And that's where I teach mindfulness skills. And mindfulness skills is the ability to become more and more aware of your body, your sensations, your mind and learn how to take a step back, like you said, and calm yourself down and really accepting your own emotions at the same time and your own experience and regulating as uh, you're accepting and trying to make sense and understand the child. So that's where mindfulness comes in. Two is at the right time, when you're going to take the next step to address the behavior, right, is you're going to approach the child differently. And perhaps you're going to validate and show some understanding that you know, like you said, perhaps they're emotionally sensitive and, you know, this is hard for you. And this was really upsetting. And here's where is not, but, and here's a little tip uh, for your audience is when we, when we say, but we actually invalidate our first statement of validation. As I talked about dialectics, it's yeah, this was really hard for you. And so it's not, but, and at the same time, it's not okay. And we need to figure out how to change it. And that's the second piece that you were saying is that and this, and sometimes having the conversation and lecturing a child or letting them know we got to do something about it doesn't really work, especially with a very, very difficult child who's struggling. Um, and, and, and often my parents, I know that the child's not getting out, their teen's not getting up and they keep every morning, they're knocking on the door and pushing out of bed. And I said to the parent, I said, Oh, so tomorrow when you're going to go, they're going to say, oh, dad, I didn't realize that getting up is so important and being to school on time. Now I'm going to do it. I, you should have just told me, right? Often the child, they know that information and you need to put another cause in place to maybe increase motivation or help them 
move to motivation change. Now that might be use of positive reinforcement, behavioral contracts and charts, or other behavior while building their sense of self. Or that also might be by putting out a consequence and say to the child, say, listen, you know, you went ahead and you were really upset. And I get it. It was very frustrating. And perhaps I don't know what you're experiencing. And therefore you threw the lamp on the floor and it cracked. Uh, at the same time, you have a responsibility for that. So you are going to have to pay for the lamp. Uh, and that's putting in a consequence, which parents that you, so, so you're balancing the acceptance and, and understanding, well, I don't want it. You know, well, you pay for it. And that's where parents are going to have to learn to be assertive and following through limits when effective. And that's really the key. Uh, going back to my favorite word is the word, it's the mindfulness-based word, is effective. And that's what we really want to know. Are we being effective with our children? Are we doing what works? Is it moving towards the long-term goal? So any intervention or strategy you're going to do, if it's not working and it's not moving towards your goal, then it's not being effective. And often we see stuck in the same uh, frame of mind and keep doing the same thing again and again when it's not effective. So let me ask you this in the situation with breaking the lamp, is it, is there, is there a reason to, or not to take it to the place of one step further when the lamp breaks of, okay, we accepted the behavior. We saw what happened. Said, and you broke the lamp. And since our kids are older, right, we're talking about teens and 20 somethings to take that to a question and say, how can you make this right? Or what can you do to make this right? And maybe let them work on coming to the conclusion themselves, or maybe they'll come up with something completely different that is acceptable to you as well. Yeah, that, that's a wonderful strategy, uh, especially you know with any child. Um, and that's just in terms of technique, when you're going to put in that limit or a consequence or anything which you think might be appropriate, if, if in that case appropriate, sometimes it might be most effective to look away from the lamp because that's the least of the issues and you're prioritizing. But perhaps if you think it's that giving the child or the teen uh, a sense of control, a sense of responsibility, a, ability to think for themselves and to problem solve and do it on their own, of course, is more powerful because it creates more inhibited learning uh, as opposed to being told you know, what to do as they get older. So uh, that, that is, I, I would definitely say that's a wonderful strategy. Now, if the child comes back and says, well, I can't think of anything or never comes back with anything, does that mean we say, well, it's up to them. If they think it's okay that, you know, they don't have to follow through or do something to make this up, then I'll let it go. I'm not sure that's the most effective thing in that situation. It might be, it might not be, but definitely as a strategy and intervention, I think to start with that, or if your child will respond to that, giving that ability, giving them a sense of control, helping them learn to take responsibility on their own, uh, doing what they think is appropriate or effective. I think that's wonderful. And you said something in there that I think is very important. I want to pull out. You said, if they come back to you, because that's the other piece in that moment when they're emotional, I assume that although they are wired a little differently, but I assume that in that moment, their brain's been hijacked and they do not have a thinking brain to be able to think through what did I do and how can I make that right? They need time to come out of that emotional state, to get out of that fight and flight before they can think again. Is that true for emotionally sensitive kids? This isn't a time to parent. And I think very often those interactions lead to more problems 
So it's not necessarily about them coming back to you. It's about finding the appropriate time. And that's where mindfulness again comes in. Being mindful of your child, of their emotional state, of their behaviors, of your own emotions, your own sensations, who's in the environment, what has been effective in the past. How can you get yourself more uh, grounded and aware and focused to do what's most effective with your child? And very often, and there's the word effective again, it's ineffective to parent a, a child when they're in that, when they're hijacked emotionally. Absolutely. And we can be mindful in the moment. And yet one of the, one of the ways to be a better parent and to be the parent we want to be here at Mighty Parenting is to be building that mindfulness skill in ourselves. Do you have a particular exercise that you like to share with people or, or a technique that you like to share with parents for helping them build that ability, that awareness? Yeah. So there's something that, and this is, again, this was borrowed from dialectical behavioral therapy. And I think it's really important because, you know, yes, doing mindfulness meditation or mindful breathing, all that is really helpful and wonderful. And we know all the research and it makes changes to our brain. What uh, DBT did, which was really helpful, and I brought this into pairing and mindfulness, is breaking it down into six skills that you can use in your everyday parenting situations and everyday life. And those are how and uh, what, excuse me, what skills, what to do to be mindful. And that's observe, describe, and participate. Those are the three what skills. And how skills are non-judgmentally, one mindfully, and to participate, non-judgmentally, one mindfully, and effectively. So it's observe, describe, and participate are the what skills. And the how skills are non-judgmentally, one mindfully, and effectively. And for each of those sets, of, of concepts, there are very, very specific strategies that you can be uh, to use to can help you become uh, more mindful and to uh, encourage and, and uh, strengthen, I should say, uh, the, your brain's ability to be more, uh, more mindful. I appreciate the way that you break that down. And I cannot encourage parents enough to build mindfulness. I know it's a word that's being tossed around and working with women on on releasing stress in their lives and using meditation and mindfulness in those activities to help them. It makes such a difference. It has changed my parenting completely. Just being able to not be triggered yourself in that moment, to be able to stay calmer and to see, as you were talking about, Matisse, being able to look at your child and see what they're experiencing instead of being caught up in your own physiology and your own emotions is really huge. And I know you cover all of this in your book, In the Uncontrollable Child. And I so appreciate you spending time with us today to have this conversation for parents who are going, yes, that's me. I I want more. Where can they find you online and where can they get the book? Thank you so much, Sandy. So um, you can find me online on, on my website, which is the uncontrollablechild.com. And if you go to my website, you can actually see, if you go where it says order the book, all the links to all the major online sellers, whether it's um, Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, of course, uh, wherever you usually purchase your book. Um, it's also available in local bookstores. 
Uh, I also have seen it in uh, like for, for where I live, all four branches in, in my county, all are carrying the library has the book as well. Uh, so you can really get it anywhere. If you actually order the book and you purchase the book, be sure to go back to my website and put in your receipt number because I have a book bonus with lots of worksheets, summaries of the book that you actually download and you get a lot of great extras. So I strongly encourage you to do that. Um, I also just put in, I'm also uh, in the next few weeks, I'll be releasing a master class, a, a 10 part class where I'm actually teaching all these specific strategies and skills. Um, it's lo loaded with skills and information that could be super helpful in parenting and some of the things I touched on today. And lastly, you could find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, Facebook. I'd love for you to follow me, learn about what I'm doing. So there's some information about me. Great. Well, thank you so much. And I know you're talking about bookstores. I know our local little tiny indie bookstore, they get books the next day. If you call in the morning, if you call in the afternoon, you have to wait two days. So I know you can get the book everywhere. And thank you, Matisse, for your time and all of your insights. I think this is so helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And, uh, you know, my only my, my last message is, is to your audience and to all parents out there. Uh, and I, I try to give that over in the book that parenting is, is hard. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're putting effort, it's just a lot. And it says a lot about your care and what you're doing for your children. And uh, as a parent myself, you know, I, I appreciate that. And, and thank you for this opportunity. And a quick reminder, too, that a, a great tool for helping you on this parenting journey that works well with things like what we discussed today and a lot of the other issues at Mighty Parenting is Trumi's phones. So use the link in the podcast notes and the code coupon code mighty parenting all in caps you'll get $50 off your phone and then you can really use it as part of the journey of parenting your child and helping them learn to live in a healthy way with their technology and remember as we said here today if you're here if you're listening you are a mighty parent you got this and i will see you next week <laughs>